Act One of Seven Keys to Baldpate by George M. Cohen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Drop up for Act One. The clock strikes twelve. The sound of a typewriter is heard clicking from room occupied by McGee. A short pause of absolute silence. Then Bland appears at door, peering into room. Bland. Opens door, enters. Locks door, then comes down to center. Looks about, rubbing his hands and blowing on them to warm them. Sees safe. Goes up to it, tries the door, opens it, and goes around right. As he starts for phone, he sees fire burning, and stops dead. A log fire! Who the devil built that? Thinks, snaps fingers, goes to phone, and puts in plug. 2875 West. Hurry it along, sister. McGee enters from room and stands on balcony, listening, leaving door of room opening. In phone. Hello? Is that you, Andy? This is bland. Yes, bald pate. Yes, damn near frozen. Oh, awful. It's like Napoleon's tomb. I thought you said Mayor Cargan would meet me here. No, no, I can't stay here all night. I'd go mad. Listen, I'll hide the money here in the safe and meet him at nine o'clock in the morning and turn it over to him then. There isn't a chance in the world of anything happening. The money's safer here than any spot on earth. I'll lock the safe as soon as I put the package in. Meg Cargan knows the combination. My advice is to let it lay here a week. It's the last place I'll look for it. Besides, how could they get in? My key to Baldpate is the only one in existence. McGee, on balcony, takes out his key and looks at it. They don't figure we take the chance after the other exposure. I'll tell you, I know best. I'll be back in town by one o'clock. I've got the President's machine waiting at the foot of the mountain. All right, goodbye. Hangs up receiver, goes centre. Takes package of money from his pocket, looks at it, and around room, then goes to safe and deposits the money therein. McGee starts slowly and stealthily downstairs. Bland closes door of safe, turns the handle, tries doors to see if they are locked securely, then comes down to fireplace and warms himself. As he turns his back to the fire, he comes face to face with McGee, who by this time is standing right. Bland's hand goes to his pocket for his gun, as he comes slowly center to McGee.
McGee, cool and collected. Good evening. Or perhaps I should say good morning. Bland, keeping his hand on his gun as he advances towards McGee. Who are you? I was just about to put that question to you. What are you doing here? I rather think I'm the one entitled to an explanation. Did you follow me up that mountain? Oh no, I was here an hour ahead of you. How'd you get in here? McGee points. Through that door. You lie. There's only one key to that door, and I'll have it right here in my pocket. My dear sir, I was laboring under that same impression until a moment ago. But as your key fits the lock, and my key fits the lock, there are evidently two keys to Baldpate instead of one. He shows Bland his key. See? You mean to tell me that's a key to Baldpate? Yes. That's why I became so interested in your arrival here. I heard you telephone your friend just now and declare that your key was the only one in existence. Laughs. <laughs> it sort of handed me a laugh. You heard what I said over the telephone? Every word. Bland. Pulls pistol. You don't think you're going to live to tell it, do you? Have no fear on that score. I'm not a tattletale, nor do I intend to pry into affairs that do not concern me. But I should like your answering me one question. Where did you get your key to Baldpate? None of your damn business. I didn't come here to tell you the story of my life. Well, you might at least relate that portion of it that has led you to trespassing on a gentleman seeking seclusion. Trespassing, eh? Who's trespassing? You or I? My right here is indisputable. Who gave you that key? None of your damned business. If I remember rightly, that's the answer you gave me. Bland goes slightly nearer McGee. You've got a pretty good nerve to talk like that, with a gun in front of your face. Oh, that doesn't disturb me in the least. While I've never experienced this sort of thing in real life before, I've written so much of this melodramatic stuff and collected such splendid royalties from it all that it rather amuses me to discover that the so-called literary trash is the real thing, after all. You may not believe it, but really, old chap, I've written you over and over. <laughs> Laughs hardly and slaps Bland on the shoulder. The latter backs away after a second slap. McGee sits at table, still laughing heartily. Bland, up close to McGee. Say, I killed a man once. For laughing at me? That's my line. I used it in the Lost Limousine. Four hundred thousand copies. I'll bet you've read it. Bland. Pointing gun. If you don't tell me who you are and what you're doing here, I'll kill you as dead as a doornail. Come on. I mean business. Who are you? Well, a name doesn't mean so much, so you may call me Mr. Smith. What are you? A writer of popular novels. What are you doing here? Trying to win a bet by completing a story of Baldpate in 24 hours. Gets up. 
A few more interruptions of this sort, however, and it's plain to be seen I'll pay the winner. Up close to Bland. You can do me a big favor, old man, by leaving this place to myself for the night. I give you my word of honor that whatever I've seen or heard shall remain absolutely sacred. Bland, sneeringly. Ye must think I'm an awful fool to swallow that kind of talk. Very well, if you don't believe I'm who I say I am, and you doubt that I'm here for the reason I gave, go upstairs to that room with the open door. Points to room right on balcony. Bland looks up and backs away. And you'll find a typewriting machine, several pages of manuscript scattered about the floor, and a letter on the dresser from the owner of this inn to the caretaker, proving conclusively that all I've told you is the truth and nothing but the truth, and there you are. Bland, up close to McGee. And you're not in with the police? No. I wish I were if the graft is as good as they say it is. You say you have a letter from the owner of the inn? Yes. Wait a minute and I'll get it for you. Starts upstairs, but is stopped by Bland as he is about halfway up. Bland shouts, Come back! McGee comes down and goes left center. What's the matter? Bland, going left center to McGee. I've been double-crossed before, young fellow. I'll find it if it's there. Oh, very well. If you prefer to get it for yourself, why, go right along. He turns from Bland. As he does so, Bland fans him for a gun. McGee turns, surprised. Then, as he understands, he laughs. <laughs> you needn't be alarmed. I never carried a gun in my life. But you keep one in your room, eh? If you think so, search the room. That's just what I'm going to do. I guess I'll keep you in sight, though. Go on. I'll let you show me the way. All right. Starts towards stairs. If that's the way you feel about it, why, certainly. Goes upstairs leisurely, followed by Bland, who keeps him covered. McGee starts to exit into room. Bland stops him. Bland, center of balcony. Wait a minute. I'll peek round that room alone first. You don't look good to me. You're too damn willing. Goes to door of room right. McGee steps out to right of door. You wait out there. I'll call you when I've satisfied myself. You're not trying to spring something. Very well. If you don't trust me, go ahead. Bland exit into room, keeping his eye fixed on McGee. The latter stands thinking for a moment, then turns and slams the door quickly, locks it, and runs downstairs to phone. When he is halfway down, Bland starts hammering on door. Bland, yelling and hammering on door. Open this door! Hammers. Damn you, I'll get you for this. McGee, at phone. Hello, I want to talk to the Asquan Police Headquarters. That's what I said, Police Headquarters. Bland pounds on door. As McGee sits waiting for connection, 
Mary Norton appears at door. She unlocks it and enters, closing door. The cold blast of wind attracts McGee, who jumps up and yells. Who's there? What do you want? Don't shoot. It's all right. I'm harmless. How did you open that door? Mary, slightly down towards McGee. Unlocked it with a key, of course. McGee, half aside. My God. Mary comes towards McGee. If you will allow me to bring my chaperone inside, I will explain in a moment who I am and why we're here. Your chaperone? Mary, going up to door. Yes. Another perfectly harmless female who has been kind enough to accompany me on this wild adventure. Turns to McGee. I have your permission. McGee looks up at room right, then back at Mary, puzzled. Say, what the deuce is this all about? You'll soon know. Opens door and calls. All right, Mrs. Rhodes. Mrs. Rhodes screams off stage, then enters and runs past Mary to above table left, terribly frightened. What's the matter? What's happened? Mrs. Rhodes shouting to Mary. Lock the door! Lock the door! Mary hurriedly locks door. McGee crosses to Mrs. Rhodes, speaking hurriedly. Tell me, please, what is it? Mary runs down left to Mrs. Rhodes. What frightened you, Mrs. Rhodes? Mrs. Rhodes, almost hysterical. A man! A man? What man? I don't know! He appeared at the window above, flourishing a revolver, and then he jumped to the ground and started running down the mountainside. Are you sure? Of course I'm sure! Just a moment. Turns and darts upstairs, taking key from his pocket as he goes. Mary going right center with Mrs. Rhodes. Is there anything wrong? I'm beginning to think I am. Opens door right on balcony and exits. Mrs. Rhodes still hysterical. Why did you ever come here? Mary coolly. It's all right. Don't get excited. McGee. Enters room right, and comes to center a balcony. The bird has flown, but he forgot this when he took the jump. Points gun at women. Mrs. Rhodes runs right, screaming. Mary screams and runs left. Don't be alarmed, I'm not going to shoot. At least, not yet. Is on landing of stairs, as he speaks next line. Now, might I ask why I'm so honored by this midnight visit? Snaps on bracket lights and comes down center. Mary goes left center to McGee. I can explain in a very few words. That will suit me immensely. My time is valuable. I'm losing thousands of dollars, perhaps, through even this waste of time. Looks at Mary intently. Be as brief as possible, please. I... Stares at her. Why do you stare at me so? Do you believe in love at first sight? Mrs. Rhodes takes a step towards them, surprised. What do you mean? You know, I've written about it a great many times, but I never believed in it before. It's really remarkable. Looks from Mary to Mrs. Rhodes, puzzled, then laughs in an embarrassed manner. Oh, pardon me, you were about to explain your visit here. Well, to begin with, I... Phone rings. All turn and look at it. McGee goes to phone, stops buzzer, then backs upstage center. Mrs. Rhodes is right center. 
to marry. Will you be kind enough to answer that phone? I don't care to turn my back on anything but a bolted door tonight. As Mary looks surprised. If you please. Certainly. Goes to phone. Mrs. Rhodes goes right center above Mary. Hello? What's that? Hold the wire, please. I'll see. Turns to McGee. Did you wish to talk to police headquarters? Mrs. Rhodes goes to McGee center, frightened. <gasps> police headquarters? McGee, crossing Mrs. Rhodes, who goes over to right of table left. Yes. Starts, then stops, and looks up at room right on balcony. But, no, just say they must have made a mistake. Backs upstage center. Mary, in phone. Hello? No. No such call put in from here. Must be some mistake. That's all right. Stands up receiver and goes left. McGee goes to phone, severs connection, then comes down center. Mary, up to him. Then you did call police headquarters? I did. Mrs. Rhodes goes to center. Why did you call police headquarters? Yes, why did you call police headquarters? McGee looks at both, puzzled, then laughs. <laughs> You know, these are the most remarkable lot of happenings. No sooner do I get rid of one bestseller than along comes another dyed in the wool to be continued in our next. To Mary. You know, there's no particular reason for my saying this, but I really believe I'd do anything in the world for you. I don't understand. But you promised to explain your presence here. Which I fully intend to do. But first of all, I should like to ask you one question. Proceed. How did you get in here without this key? Shows him her key. McGee laughs. <laughs> oh, no, no. Laughs. <laughs> you know, I'm beginning to think this whole thing is a frame-up. What do you mean? McGee points to her key. You have the only key to bald pate in existence, I suppose. So I understood. Well, if it's any news to you ladies, believe me, there are more keys to bald pate than you'll find in a Steinway piano. Then he lied. Who lied? Mrs. Rhodes, quickly. Remember your promise, Mary. Crosses to chair in front of fire and sits. McGee follows Mrs. Rhodes with his eyes, making complete turn. Well? I can't tell you his name. Well, at least tell me your name. My name is Mary Norton. I do special stories for the Root and Star. McGee, surprised. In the newspaper game. That's it. And this lady... Pointing to Mrs. Rhodes, who is now removing her rubbers... Is Mrs. Rhodes, with whom I live in Rooten, and who is the only other person who knows I'm here to do this story. What story? The story of the $5,000 wager you have made with a certain gentleman, that you would write a complete novel inside of 24 hours. Who told you this? Remember your promise, Mary. McGee crosses to right center. Mary goes left center. McGee looks at Mrs. Rhodes and then at Mary. You've made many a promise, haven't you, Mary? I should certainly like to know who gave you this information. Mary goes to McGee, right center. I can tell you only that when the wager was made at the 44th Street Club this afternoon... A certain someone dispatched the news to me at once. Believing that I had the only key to Baldpate, 
I hurried here to let you in, and lo and behold... Takes stage left. McGee, following her. I find you already at work, and as snug and cozy as you would be in a New York apartment. Comes down right of table. McGee, following her. Now that you know my story, I am going to throw myself on your mercy and ask you to allow me to stay here and get the beat. I promise you we shall not disturb you in the least. Have you any objections? And you won't tell me who gave you the story? I can't. Nor where you got the key? Remember your promise, Mary. McGee turns and looks at Mrs. Rhodes, and then at Mary. You know, I wish you hadn't brought her with you. What? Gets up and starts left towards McGee. McGee goes towards her as she starts up. No offense, Mrs. Rhodes. Of course, I understand that Mary is a very promising young woman, but why continually remind her of the fact? Laughs apologetically. <laughs> That's just my little joke. Excuse me. Goes to Mary Center. Mrs. Rhodes goes to window, looking out. Let me get this clear. Your idea is to stop here and write the story of my 24-hour task. With your permission. Well, I'll tell you. Had you put such a proposition up to me... Mrs. Rhodes comes down stage to right center. Half an hour ago, I should have said emphatically no. But since my little experience with the gun-flourishing, window-jumping gentleman, I'm inclined to entertain the idea of a companion or two. Mrs. Rhodes, right of McGee. Who was the man with the gun? Why did he jump from the window? You might as well ask me why he placed a package of money in that safe. Mary and Mrs. Rhodes go up towards safe. Or why he telephoned the fact to someone else who was to pass the word along to Mayor Cargan. Mrs. Rhodes turns to McGee, amazed. Mayor Cargan? What seems to be the trouble? Mary. To McGee, center. Mrs. Rhodes is a widow. Mayor Cargan a widower. Perhaps you will understand why the name startled her when I tell you that Mrs. Rhodes is to become Mrs. Cargan next Sunday morning. Oh, indeed. Mary goes up center, then down again during next speech. McGee crosses to Mrs. Rhodes. Well, congratulations, Mrs. Rhodes. And again, I say I did not mean to offend. I'm not accusing Mayor Cargan of any transaction, dishonest or otherwise. I was merely trying to point out to you ladies that it has been a night of wild occurrences up to now. However, if you care to take the risk, stay here. It won't disturb me in the least, and may possibly benefit this young lady in her business. Goes towards Mary, looks at his watch, and whistles. I've lost half an hour already, and as every minute means money to me right now, I'll have to work fast to make up for the time I've lost. To Mrs. Rhodes. Mary comes down left center. Again, I apologize for any mistake I may have made, Mrs. Rhodes. I assure you, a more honest man than Jim Cargan never lived. I sincerely trust you're right, especially for your own sake. Mrs. Rhodes sits in front of fire. McGee goes to Mary and takes her hand. I hope the story proves a whale. I wish... What do you wish? Oh, nothing. I was just thinking of Sunday morning. Good night. Good night. McGee, as he goes up the stairs... I'd gladly offer you ladies my room, but it's the only one cleaned and heated, and I must have some comfort for this kind of work. On balcony right. Good night, ladies. Good, Good night. night. McGee, leaning over balcony. 
Mary. That's the sweetest name in the world. Mary, looking up at him. Thank you. Good night. Good night. McGee, a long look at Mary, and then at Mrs. Rhodes. I still wish you hadn't brought her with you. Good night. Good night. McGee exits into room right on balcony, closing door. Mrs. Rhodes, over to Mary, right center. You don't believe Jim Cargan guilty of any treachery? Tell me you don't, Mary. I don't know, Mrs. Rhodes. I told you of the suburban bribe story we got last night, but I certainly hope the name of Cargan is kept clean, for both your sakes. I can't believe he's wrong. I won't believe it. Crosses to left center. Mary, following Mrs. Rhodes. But if he is wrong, it's best you should know it now. The fates may have brought us here tonight to protect you. Who knows? Mrs. Rhodes, going towards safe. Money hidden in that safe, he said. Yes, and that dovetails with the suburban bribe story. Both come down stage a trifle. I came down here to do a special. I may get two sweeps with the one broom. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'd be made. Mrs. Rhodes turns upstage, looks towards door, and sees Peters. <gasps> Great heavens, Mary, look! What is it? Looks up at door, sees Peters, screams, and runs left behind Bannister. <laughs> Mrs. Rhodes screams and runs right, hides behind chair. McGee enters on balcony after second scream. McGee, looking down on women. What's wrong down there? A ghost! What? A ghost! A ghost! McGee, laughing. <laughs> I'll bet you four dollars that's the fellow whose wife ran away with the traveling man. Starts to come downstairs. Mary and Mrs. Rhodes. They wave McGee back. Shh! McGee snaps out lights. Peters unlocks the door, enters, locks the door, then throws the sheet over his arm and comes downstage, looking from Mary to Mrs. Rhodes, who both come forward a trifle. McGee comes to left of Peters at center. I beg your pardon, but have you any idea just how many keys there are to this flat? Peters ignores question. What are these women doing here? How's that? I don't like women. Mrs. Rhodes and Mary scream and run to the foot of stairs. <sighs> it's all right, ladies. He's not a regular ghost. I know all about him. He's in the picture postcard business. Peters, gruffly. What? McGee, to Peters. Just a minute, Bosco. To ladies. If you ladies will kindly step upstairs into my room, I'll either kill it or cure it. Ladies go up and stand on balcony. Peters, gruffly. What? McGee, to Peters. See here, that's the second time you've barked at me. Now don't do it again, do you hear? To ladies. Go right in, ladies. They exit into room right, closing door. McGee down to Peters. So you're the ghost of Baldpate, are you? How do you people get in here? McGee laughs. <laughs> you're not going to pull that only key in existence speech on me, are you? What? You know there are other keys besides yours. They're all imitations. Mine's the real key. The old man gave it to me the day before he died. 
What old man? The father of that young scamp who wastes his time around those New York clubs. You know who I mean. Then you're not particularly fond of the present owner of Baldpate? I hate him and all his men friends. You don't like women either, you say? I despise them. How do little girls and boys strike you? Bah. McGee laughs. <laughs> I can understand your wife now. Anything in preference to you, even a traveling man. Don't mention my wife's name or I'll... Raises lantern to strike McGee. McGee pulls lantern out of Peter's hand. Now see here, old man, if you make any more bluffs at me, I'll take that white sheet away from you and put you right out of the ghost business. Haven't you any better sense than to go about frightening little children this way? Why don't you stick to your own line of work? You're a hermit by trade, if I'm rightly informed. Yeah, I'm a hermit. I'm proud of it. Then why don't you cut out this ghost stuff and be a regular hermit? I play the ghost because I love to see the cowards run. Oh, they're all cowards, is that it? Cowards, yes. <laughs> Laughs gruffly. And you're a brave man, I suppose. A caveman is always a brave man. Pistol shots are heard outside. Then, woman scream. Peters laughs and dances up to the door and peers through. Aha, they're shooting again. They're shooting again. Mary and Mrs. Rhodes have come out on the balcony at shots. McGee up to door and peers through. What's that? What's happened? Is someone hurt? Both lean over balcony, looking down. Did you hear a woman scream? Mary, frightened. Distinctly. Mrs. Rhodes, frightened. And a pistol shot! Peters, dramatically, as he goes towards door left, slowly. A woman in white! A woman in white! They shot at her as they shoot at me when I played a ghost. Laughs. They thought it was the ghost. Almost whispers. Thought it was the ghost. Laughs viciously and exits door left. Myra Thornhill appears at door center and is seen unlocking it. McGee runs to foot of stairs and calls up to the women. My God, another key. What? Shh, it's a woman. He waves them back. Shh. Mary and Mrs. Rhodes go back into room right. McGee crouches behind Bannister, unseen by Myra, until he speaks. Myra enters, locks doors, then tiptoes cautiously to dead center. She takes a sweeping glance around, then goes to fire and warms herself, comes to center again, and on making sure that no one is in the room, she goes to safe and starts working combination, first picking up lantern from desk and holding it in her left hand, while working combination with her right. McGee, snapping on bracket lights. I thought I'd give you a little more light so you could work faster. Myra puts lantern on desk and throws up her hands. You needn't throw up your hands. I'll take a chance on that quick stuff. Come on out here, please. Laughs. As Myra comes around desk right to center slowly. 
I didn't think they did that sort of thing outside of melodrama and popular novels, but I see I was wrong, or I should say right, when I wrote it. Myra continues to advance to him slowly. Really, you're the most attractive burglar I've ever seen. That is, if you are a burglar. Are you? Myra, coolly. Are you one of the Cargan crowd, or do you represent the Royton suburban people? Mary and Mrs. Rhodes enter on balcony and listen. No, I'm just an ordinary man trying to win a bet. But up to now, the chances have been dead against me. Perhaps you'd like to tell me who you are. I will, if you'll answer me one question. McGee laughs. <laughs> of course, of course, I'll answer that one before you ask it. A friend of mine gave it to me. Of course, you thought you had the only one in existence, but he lied to you. I have a cute little key of my own. Oh, there are keys and keys, but I love my little key best of all. Shows her his key, kissing it. See? I can't understand it at all. You haven't anything on me. And just about two more keys, and I'll pack up my paraphernalia, go back to New York, and never make another bet as long as I live. Myra, up close to him. Will you please tell me your name? Well, a name doesn't mean so much, so you may call me Mr. Jones. And yours? My name is... Hesitates, Mary. And Mrs. Rhodes lean over balcony, listening. Listen. Brings McGee downstage. My husband is the president of the Skewan Royton Suburban Railway Company. He has agreed to pay a vast amount of money for a certain city franchise, a franchise that the political crowd at Royton has no power to grant. They are going to cheat him out of this money and use it for campaign funds to fight the opposition party at the next election. If he sues for his money back, they are going to expose him for entering into an agreement he knows to be nothing short of bribery. The present mayor is at the bottom of it all. Mary and Mrs. Rhodes start at the mention of Mayor's name. I ran to my husband tonight and begged him not to enter into this deal. I warned him that he was being cheated. He wouldn't believe me, but I know it's true. He's being cheated and will be charged with bribery besides. That's why I risked the mountain on a night like this. I must have been followed, for I was shot at as I reached the top of Baldpate. Oh, I don't know who you are, but you're a man, and you can help me. Puts her hands on his shoulders pleadingly. You will help me, won't you? McGee, interested. Yes. What do you want me to do? Myra looks at McGee for a moment without speaking, then goes up to safe and back to McGee. In that safe, there is a package containing $200,000. McGee goes up towards safe. Two hundred thousand dollars. Mary and Mrs. Rhodes start downstairs very slowly. Myra, following McGee upright. That's the amount. It must be there. A man named Bland was to bring it here and deposit it at midnight. Cargan was to follow later and was to find it here. McGee, coming downstage. Cargan coming here. So they've planned it. I must have that money out of there before he arrives. You'll help me, won't you? Don't you understand? My husband is being cheated, tricked, robbed, probably ruined. But I don't know the combination. 
Myra, wringing her hands. Oh, there must be something we can do. Please, please. She kneels at his feet and puts up her hands imploringly. For the sake of my children, help me, please. McGee sees women on stairs and warns Myra with a look as he helps her to her feet. She turns and faces Mary and Mrs. Rhodes, then turns abruptly to McGee. Who are these women? What are they doing here? She has changed from hysteria to dignified coldness. Oh, of course, pardon me. Goes two women at foot of stairs. Myra crosses to right. May I introduce Miss... Myra cuts him off sharply. Please don't. Turns to women. Will you pardon me for a moment, ladies? Certainly. They step off stairs and remain left, keeping their eyes fixed on Myra and McGee. McGee goes right to Myra. Myra, aside to McGee. For God's sake, don't tell them who I am. My husband will kill me if he ever learns that I've been here on such an errand. McGee, aside. I understand. You may trust me. I sympathize with you very deeply, madam, and I promise you that no one shall take that money away from here tonight unless it be yourself. And I'll get it out of that safe if I have to blow the thing to smithereens. You give me your word as a gentleman. McGee offers his hand. My word as a gentleman. Myra takes his hand. Thank you. McGee pulls down his vest and goes up to Mary and Mrs. Rhodes. Ladies, I wish to present a girl schoolmate of mine, Miss Brown, who has become interested enough in my career to find her way to Bald Pate to witness my endeavor to break all records as a speedy story writer. Miss Brown? Both bow. Myra returns the bow. McGee takes out his watch and looks at it. Up to now, I'm almost an hour behind myself. However, I expect to catch up with myself before the night is over. That is, of course, providing there aren't over three hundred more keys to the old front door. Mary goes up to McGee Center. Now, might I have a word with you alone? I'd be delighted. I'd like to be alone with you forever. Mary to Myra. Will you pardon me for a moment? Certainly. Go right upstairs, Miss Brown, and make yourself quite at home. Starts towards stairs with Myra. Oh, Mrs. Rhodes, will you be good enough to show her to the room? Mary crosses center to right. I'm sure she needs a little drop of something after that bitter cold trip up the mountain. You'll find a flask on the table. Mrs. Rhodes starts up the stairs. Come right along, miss. I know where it is. I've already tried it. Exit room right. Myra, following Mrs. Rhodes upstairs. Well, really, I don't know what to say to all this kindness. I... Stops center on balcony, looks down, and warns McGee to silence with finger on her lips. He reassures her, then goes center. Mrs. Rhodes, appearing at door. Right in here, miss. Thanks, awfully. Exit into room, followed by Mrs. Rhodes, who closes door. Mary goes quickly to McGee at center. Who did that woman claim to be? That's a secret I've promised never to reveal. But I overheard everything she said. Then you know. I know she lied. She lied? She claimed to be the wife of Thomas Hayden. 
president of the suburban railway. She lied, I tell you. Why, I've known Mrs. Hayden all my life, was brought up and went to school with her daughters. Mrs. Hayden is a woman in her fifties. You can see for yourself that she is nothing more than a slip of a girl. There's a mystery here of some kind. Someone's playing a desperate game. Goes upstage excitedly, looking up at door right. Yes, and it's costing me $5,000. I'll never get my work done tonight. I can see that right now. Looks at watch. Mary comes down center. But what do I care? I've met you. You're going to give this money over to that woman? Peters enters from left and hides behind banisters. Not if she lied. Well, you believe me, don't you? McGee takes her hand. Believe you? Let me tell you something, little girl. I've written a lot of those Romeo speeches in my novels, though I never really felt this way before, but here goes. The moment you walked through that door tonight and I laid eyes on you, I made up my mind that you were the one woman in the world for me. Why, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Try me. Very well, I shall. Get me that package of money out of that safe before Cargan comes to steal it. Help me to reach Rutan without being molested, and I'll annihilate the graft machine with tomorrow's edition of the Star. With that money to turn over to the proper authorities as proof of the deal, I'll wipe out the streetcar trust and the Cargan crowd with one swing of the pen. And just think, I'll save Mrs. Rhodes from an alliance with a thief. I know Cargan's crooked, always has been. But I must prove it before she'll break off the engagement. Great Scott, what a story I'll write. Think what it will mean to me and to the city of Rutan itself. Puts her hands on his shoulders pleadingly. You will do this for me, won't you? Please. Please. Yes. What do you want me to do? Come, we must hurry. Can't you think of some way to open that safe? Goes up towards safe, McGee following. He comes down center. What are we going to do? We don't know the combination, and I haven't any dynamite. But we must have that $200,000. Peters moves chair just enough to betray his presence. Mary comes down to McGee, frightened, placing her hand on his arm. What was that? Oh, that was nothing. It was just the wind creeping through the cracks, I fancy. Aside. Go upstairs. There's someone hiding in this room. Aloud. Good night, Miss Norton. Good night. She hurries upstairs and exits into room right. McGee looks around room for a moment, reaches over banisters and snaps out lights, starts whistling, and then goes upstairs to left room on balcony, opens doors, slams it loudly, and then comes out and sits behind banisters, watching Peters. Peters makes sure no one is in sight, then goes quickly over to safe and starts working combination quietly but hurriedly. McGee watching him from stairs. Cargan and Max appear outside, peering through into room. As the safe door flies open, they enter quickly. Cargan opening the door. Max enters and goes quickly up center and covers Peters with gun. Cargan closes door and goes quickly to Peters. Get away from that safe. Peters jumps away. Put up your hands. Peters' hands go up. 
Cargan recognizes him as he goes towards safe. Oh, it's you, is it? To Max. The ghost came near walking that time for fair. To Peters. Come out of there. Peters comes in front of desk. How did you know the combination of that safe? No reply from Peters. Who told you there was money in there? No reply from Peters. Get out of here, you vagabond. Throws Peters towards left. What do you mean by breaking into a man's safe in the middle of the night? Throw him in the cellar, Max. Come on, hurry up. Get out. Throws Peters left. Peters at door left. Damn you, Cargan. I hate you. Get out. Goes up and locks door. Go on. Get out. Peters exit left door. Max follows him off and returns almost immediately. Cargan goes to safe and gets package of money. Max enters. By gad, we weren't any too soon. Goes to table left. Another moment and he'd have had it, sure. It would be goodbye to the hermit if he ever got hold of a roll like this. Flips bills in his hands. Two hundred one thousand dollar bills. Is it all there? I don't know. I'll see. McGee comes downstairs and goes behind desk while Max and Cargan are counting money. You seem surprised that I found the money here. What do you mean, surprised? Cargan rises, puts money in his pocket, then comes in front of the table. Max comes forward and stands left of Cargan, below table. I'm going to tell you something, Max. I didn't trust you all day, and I didn't trust you tonight. What do you mean you didn't trust me? I'll be truthful with you. I thought you were going to double-cross me. I thought you were going to beat me to the bankroll through this woman, Thornhill. Myra Thornhill? Yes, Myra Thornhill. Oh, don't play dead. You knew she was around. You've had secret meetings with her during the last 48 hours. I know every move you've made. I've had you watched. You've worked with her before. As Max makes a motion of protest. You've told me so. I had my mind made up to kill you, Max, if this money had been gone. And that's just what I'm going to do if you ever double-cross me. Do you understand? Max, in a hangdog tone. Yes, I understand. McGee, who has been crouching between safe and desk, now stands up, takes aim, and fires at left wall, then rushes over and turns on bracket lights. At the sound of the shot, the women come out on balcony, frightened, and stand looking down at men. Cargan, as McGee shoots. My God, I'm shot! Reels against table. Max draws back left. McGee comes down right center. No, you're not. I just put a bullet into the wall, and I'll put one in you if you don't toss that package of money over here. Come on, hurry up. I mean business. Cargan hesitates, then throws money to McGee, right center. The latter picks it up and puts it in his pocket. You see, being a writer of sensational novels, I'm well up in this melodramatic stuff. Mrs. Rhodes, 
on balcony, watching Cargan. Jim Cargan! Cargan. He and Max look up and see women on balcony. What are you doing here? Mrs. Rhodes doesn't reply, but continues staring at him. Myra, looking down at Max. Max! Max! Are you hurt? No, I'm all right. Cargan, turning slowly to Max. Myra Thornhill, eh? So you were trying to cross me. You snake! Chokes Max. Women scream. I must insist on orderly conduct, gentlemen. No roughhouse, please. To Max. Young man, be good enough to put that gun of yours on the table. Max hesitates. Hurry now. Max does as directed. Now kindly remove that gun from Mr. Cargan's pocket, I'm sure he has one, and put it on the table also. He might want to take a shot at you, and I'm giving you the necessary protection. Hurry, please. Max takes Cargan's gun and places it on table. Now, Mrs. Rhodes, will you kindly ask the streetcar president's wife to step back into that room, then lock the door and remove the key? Myra goes slowly to room right. Mrs. Rhodes follows her, locks the door, then comes to center of balcony. Thank you. And now, Miss Norton, will you kindly step down here? Mary starts downstairs and hangs Muff on chair left. And take those two revolvers from the table and place them in the hotel safe, and then close the safe and turn the combination? Mary places guns in safe, turns combination, and remains up near desk. Thank you very much. To men. Now, gentlemen, I must insist that you step upstairs to the room on the right of the balcony. And, Mrs. Rhodes, will you please step over there and lock the door when these gentlemen are on the other side? Mrs. Rhodes crosses balcony, goes to room left, unlocks doors, and stands aside for the men to pass in. I shan't keep you there long, gentlemen. I'll release you as soon as I've transacted some important business with this young lady. Lively now, gentlemen, lively. As men start upstairs slowly. That's it. Now to your right. Correct. Now straight ahead. Max exits into room. Cargan stops as he gets to door and turns and looks appealingly at Mrs. Rhodes, who ignores his outstretched hands. Now right in. Cargan exits into room left. Lock the door, Mrs. Rhodes, and bring the keys down to me. Mrs. Rhodes locks doors and brings keys to McGee at center. That's the ticket. Thanks very much. Mary comes to center. Well, how's my work? Some roundup, wasn't it? To Mrs. Rhodes. I'm awfully sorry about this for your sake, Mrs. Rhodes. Mary, to McGee, right of him. It's best she should know. To Mrs. Rhodes, extending her hand. Isn't it, dear? Mrs. Rhodes, going right center after taking Mary's hand. I suppose so, dear. I suppose so. Well, come on, little girl. You've got to work fast. Here's the graft money. Takes money from his pocket and gives it to Mary. Now what? I've everything planned. I know just what I'm going to do. What's the time? McGee, looking at watch. One thirty. But you can't get a train out of Ascalon until five. Mary crosses left, gets muff, and places money in it. We can't sit around the station for three hours, dear. Mary returns left center to McGee. Try to get a taxi or whatever sort of conveyance they have in the darn town. 
but whatever you do, get out of Ascalon as soon as you can. You leave it to me. I'll find a way. Are you going to stay here? McGee looks up at room right and left. I'll have to. I want to keep guard on this crowd of lady and gentleman bandits until I'm sure you're well on your way. I'll keep them here until you phone and tell me you're out of danger, even though it's all night tonight and all day tomorrow. But your work... Never mind the work. I can write a novel any old time. So far as the bet is concerned, I can lose that and still be repaid a million times over. I've met you. Takes her hand, then crosses to Mrs. Rhodes. Mary goes up center. Good night, Mrs. Rhodes, and God bless you both. Good night. Shakes hands with McGee, then starts for door and stands looking up at door left on balcony. McGee to Mary near door. I wonder if we'll ever meet again. I live in Rooten. Good night. Turns up near foot of stairs and looks up at door left. Mrs. Rhodes exits. Good night. Mary comes to door. McGee is holding open. She pauses for a moment, looks at him intently, then down at floor, then exits quickly. McGee locks door, stands peering out at them for a moment, looks up at door left, then comes downstage and stands thinking. Crooked politicians, adventurous, safe-robbed, love at first sight. Points at different rooms, and it's safe. And I wanted to get away from melodrama. Here's Hayden at door, and backs away to foot of stairs. And still they come. Hayden enters, locks doors, puts key in his pocket, takes off gloves, rubs his hands and nose, trying to warm them, then comes down to fireplace and stands with his back to the fire. As he turns, he comes face to face with McGee, who has come to center. He goes to McGee slowly. I beg pardon, but who are you? McGee, center. I'm Mayor Cargan's butler. Mayor Cargan? Yes, he's here. Do you wish to see him? Hayden, importantly. Yes. Say to him that Mr. Hayden of the Rooton Esquire and Suburban Road is calling. Oh, I see. Are you the president of that road, sir? Hayden, pompously. I most certainly am, sir. McGee looks at Hayden, then up at a room right and laughs. Your wife's here. What? Yes, locked up in that room up there. McGee points up to room right on balcony. Hayden turns and looks up. As he turns, McGee fans him for a gun. Hayden turns to McGee quickly, sputtering. Pardon me, I just wanted to see if you had a gun on you. Just a minute, I'll tell the mayor the president has arrived. <laughs> Starts upstairs, laughing. Hayden, when McGee is on first landing. Are you a crazy man, sir? That's what the critics say, but I'm beginning to think they are all wrong. Sit down, Mr. Hayden. I'll tell the boys you're here. Unlocks door left and steps aside. The boys? Come on, boys, everything's all right. The president's here. As men come down, Hayden steps forward toward stairs. Watch your step, easy, that's it. One at a time, please. Lead on, boys, I'll walk a little behind. Cargan and Max come downstairs, followed by McGee, who covers them with gun. As men get to foot of stairs, Hayden backs away, thunderstruck. Max goes to table left, McGee goes over right. Cargan comes down to Hayden, center. Cargan, 
gruffly. Uh, hello, Hayden. What is the meaning of this, Cargan? I don't know. Ask him. Nods towards McGee. Hayden to Cargan. Who is he? I don't know, and I don't care a damn. I'm disgusted with the whole works. We're nailed, that's all I know. Sits right of table left. Peters enters from door left. On seeing crowd of men, he starts to back out, but is stopped by McGee. No, you don't. Come back here. I'll keep my eye on you, too. You'd better sit down and join the boys, Hermie. Peters sits left of table. Hayden, up to McGee, who is right center. I'd very much like to know the reason for such strange actions, young man. Your wife will be down in a minute. She'll probably tell you all about it. Confound it, sir. My wife is home in bed. That's what you think. Laughs. <laughs> You're not the first fellow that's been fooled, you know. Hayden backs away from McGee. McGee throws keys to Peters. Here, Army. Take that key and open the first door to the left on the balcony, and tell Mrs. Hayden that her husband wants to see her downstairs right away. As Peters hesitates. Hurry along, that's a good ghost, go on. Peters, mad all through, does he is told, picking up the key from the floor and going upstairs. Better sit down, boys, and make yourselves comfortable. We're liable to have quite a wait. Max sits left of table. McGee goes upright. Well, I'll be running along. McGee stops Hayden as he starts for door. Better stay for a while, Mr. Hayden. I'd like to have your wife meet you. I don't think she's ever had the pleasure. Myra and Peters enter on balcony and start downstairs. Hayden, down to Cargan, right of table. What the devil sort of a man is this? Bland knocks on door. All jump and look up stage. Well, here's a novelty at last. A man without a key. It's Bland. I have his key. I'll let him in. Starts for door. Don't bother. I have a dandy little key of my own. I'll let him in. Opens door, keeping all covered. Hayden goes over right. Bland enters as McGee unlocks door, the latter keeping him covered. Bland comes down right to Hayden. Men all sit as Bland enters. Bland to Hayden. What's the matter, governor? I don't know. Bland goes to McGee left center as he recognizes him. That's him, the man I told you about. He locked me in. Oh, hello, are you back again? I thought you jumped out of town. Bland, over to Cargan at table. McGee goes over right center. Did you get it all right? No, he's got it. What? Rushes over to McGee. Give me that money. McGee covering Bland with gun. Say, I killed a man once for hollering at me. Bland backs away to left. Peters comes downstairs to left, above table, to Myra as she advances slowly to center. Ah, uh, here we are. Mr. Hayden, although I think you are getting a shade the best of it, this young lady claims to be your wife. What? Over to Myra, center. You claim what? Go on, holler your head off, Grandpa. As she strolls languidly over right to fireplace. It's music to my ears to hear an old guy squawk. Sits in chair in front of fire. Hayden goes to Bland, left center. Bland, 
waves Hayden away. Hayden goes upstage. Bland crosses to McGee, right centre. What are you going to do with that money? McGee goes up around Bland and crosses right centre, keeping all covered. I haven't got the money. All turn and look at him in amazement. It's on its way to Rutan. Miss Norton will see that it is placed in safe and proper hands directly she arrives at the office of the Rutan Daily Star. The Daily Star? Oh, we're gone. To McGee. Where did Mrs. Rose go? Out of your life forever, Cargan. She's got your number. Cargan lowers his head without speaking. Pause. Then McGee gets chair for Bland and places it right center. Sit down there. Bland pays no attention. Did you hear me? Sit. Bland sits slowly and sulkily. Sit down, Hermie. Come on, that's a nice ghost. Go on. Peters sits above table. McGee places chair for Hayden. Sit down, Hayden. I don't care to sit down, sir. Do as you're told. Sit down. Confound it, sir. Do you know that I'm the president of the Roten Esquan Railway Company? I wouldn't care if you were president of the National League. Sit down. Hayden sits, indignant. McGee sits in chair, front of switchboard, facing all and covering them with gun. Now, we're all going to stay right here till that phone bell rings and I get word that Miss Norton is safe and sound in Rutan. That may mean three hours, or it may mean six hours, but we're all going to stay right here, together, no matter how long it takes. So get comfortable and sit as easy as you can. All move uneasily. Cargan, to Max, after a pause. So you tried to cross me, eh? The chances are, I'll kill you for this. Bland, after a pause, looking at Hayden. I'm afraid I made a mistake in bringing you up here, Governor. Hayden, after a slight pause. You're always making mistakes, you damned blockheaded fool. Max, after a pause. I'm sorry I got you into this, Myra. No reply from her. Oh, Myra. I say, I'm sorry I got you into this. Myra turns and looks at Max. Oh, go to hell. Peters, after a slight pause. I hope to gosh you're all sent to prison for life. McGee, after a pause. This is going to be a nice pleasant little party. I can see that right now. After three counts, ring curtain. Slow curtain. End of Act One